in this episode. In the end, it ends up vindicating the the shadow to that, the Antichrist to that, and that would be Donnie. I mean, that's just an interpretation, but it's something I, I the, thought of. I think the real Antichrist in the movie is Drew Barrymore's acting. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, you're listening to Paleo Cheese Podcast, Episode 15, Part 2, Donnie Darko with Michael David Wilson. So welcome to Part 2 of Episode, gosh, I don't even know what this is, 15, 16? <laughs> yeah, I'm not 15. sure. Yeah. Uh, where uh, Part 1, we hung out with Michael David Wilson, author, publisher, podcaster, the co-host of uh, one of the co-hosts of This Is Horror. At the time, he was uh, excited about, if you listened to our last episode, uh, doing a landmark episode with Chuck Pollock. Man, I I really struggled with his last name. Pollock. And by the power of the internet and procrastination and error, uh, he's already done the uh, the interview with with chuck and i listened to it and it's absolutely fantastic it's easily one of my favorite on there uh if you have not heard it by now definitely go check it out there's some great writing advice great stories michael's a great interviewer chuck is a great interviewee one of the best and i i would encourage you to check that out but for now we are going to be discussing the 2001 film donnie darko mm-hmm is a reminder too if you're listening right now help us give some uh help give us some validation by subscribing or following or liking um etc and if you really want to make a smile you could visit twitter youtube instagram facebook and click all of the stuff that all the people click to make us happy and sleep at night and help spread the word and about our tiny little podcast (laughs) so but Thanks again, Michael, for hanging out with us. You're all the way in Japan, and appreciate your time again. Yeah, well, thank you for having me back. I mean, it it would have been a really disastrous interview if you hadn't seen us. <laughs> you know, it was like, let's have the conversation and then analyze Donnie Darko. Yeah. But right. yeah, in, yeah. <laughs> in Japan, morning again, it's the next day. It's, kind of like time travel which i suppose is appropriate for what we're talking about with donnie darko although the the interesting thing about this movie is it's open to numerous interpretations and i think there's a lot of arguments over whether people enjoyed the director's cut or not because in the original there's a lot of ambiguity as to what's actually going on here so is it time travel is it purely mental health is there something that's kind of a gray murky area between the two is there another tangent universe and then in the director's cut richard kelly was like well here's all the answers to that and it was a little less ambiguous that's what was that I, I looked up on on um, Amazon Prime and mm. I saw that they had a director's cut. They, they had like three of them, you know, because if, if you're uh, sometimes you'll see multiple editions of the same movie and stuff. 
And sometimes if you subscribe to a specific channel, you may be able to watch it for free or with ads, which that's what I was able to do. But I saw a director's cut and I'm like, oh yeah, man, for sure. I want to watch that. And when I went to go watch it, it said, just watch list. You couldn't rent it. You couldn't anything. It was just there. <laughs> I said, no. Right. And so, yeah, so I didn't get to see, I haven't seen the director's cut. Right. So a brief, brief synopsis of Donnie Darko. It's a, uh, a, a strange, I don't know, drama. I don't know why I call it a horror movie. I guess it has horror elements about a mentally ill high schooler who sleeps off, who sleepwalks his way through the future and back again while becoming obsessed with a bipedal bunny who tells him to commit suicide with an airplane engine. <laughs> and it's, it's directed and written by Richard Kelly. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal and his sister Maggie, and oh, yeah, the ever sexy Patrick Swayze. That was hilarious, by the way. That character is absolutely <laughs> yeah. hilarious. The whole scene, that whole cunning vision thing, yeah. right? Mm. Uh, and he's he, it's every single thing that I remember these kind of throwbacks to the 80s, you know, where a person turns their head like they're looking in another direction, they turn yes. their head, and then they start talking, like, Hi, how are you? Or they yeah. walk around the corner, it, you know, they're in another room around the corner and they come walking out and they're just right away talking. Yeah. And he, he was even talking far away, like uh, <laughs> yeah. like in, in a field, walking slowly toward the camera, talking. And he's really far away. Everything <laughs> about it. I was like, this is hilarious. Yeah, it was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it was very. Um, yeah, he, he, it, it also reminded me of those like when you're growing up at school and they and they bring the the good guys in there to talk to you from some type of organization, like an anti-drug thing or anti-bullying thing or, and they, they, they do some of the cheesiest stuff. And his, his character was uh, hilarious. And, and um, that's probably why it was such uh such a dark moment when you found out who he really was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And but, everybody liked him. So you didn't, I, I didn't anticipate it, you know, I mean, because all of the, all the teachers and all the ladies and it, you, but it was, it was funny that little, that little hint where they were like, it's so weird that he's single, you know, and they kind of yeah. dropped that idea that he's, he's alone. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it, you know, and it's curious as to what would make this guy, you know, why, why is he alone? What's going on with that? Um, but dude, that was just, yeah, it was a stunning moment to realize what that was about and how you found out anyway. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Our, our uh, mutual friend, uh, Ryan sent me a picture of him, uh, standing in front of that, uh, that big bull. He was on the set, but the, is it a bull or a bulldog? A bulldog. Did I say bull? Yeah. I yeah, meant yeah. to, yeah, I never finished the word. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I got distracted. <laughs> it was like a, a big bull statue. It was like, he's in New York. <laughs> bulldog. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, I remember the first time I saw it, you know, it was, it was several years ago, probably when it first came out. And I had this, I remember having the same reaction then that I did when I rewatched it recently. And that was that I, I just knew immediately that I was just the, the atmosphere and everything about it. It's already like got these riddles in the first like 30 seconds. This kid's waking up, you know, on the road and he's looking mm. around and then he turns and, and he's got the smile on his face and it's just like, it, just that that feel alone and then immediately with the the um <clears throat> the scene with his uh, his family at dinner and getting you know the the dialogue between him and his sister is just hilarious man 
and he's he's so snarky and sarcastic and yeah. right away i just was like uh it was it was like charming you know i liked him right away it's a great lesson in conflict to begin with as well in terms of all that dialogue in the family setting because you've of course got the political tension between the children and their parents so you've got the parents that are republican voting kind of toe the line let's keep things as they are and we've got the sister in particular who wants to change and to make things for the for the better in terms of how how she perceives world and then you've also got the conflict between Donnie and his sister who he tells to go suck a fuck we can debate how you would do that and um yeah yeah you've also got the the younger sister so the the other sister who you know is is kind of privy to all of this and just like seeing the parents almost navigate their their parenting and their different approaches to the three children they have and I mean it it is a master class in terms of how to put a script and to put a story together yeah and I think what I like about the character too was he was saying things that I think a lot of us would love to have been able to say like in school Mm. when um when he calls the guy the antichrist he's just so yeah you know he says stuff that uh, in 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 whether it be to his parents or his uh, his you know soon to be girlfriend or whatever, just mm. like there's no filter, and and so we kind of like in some of those scenes we kind of like live vicariously through him and and cheer for him when he says something outrageous and rude. There was a scene in the in the classroom later on um, where in Jeremiah it reminded me so much of you and me. Like when he when he's arguing in the classroom with the teacher about how humans are much more complex than just fear and love. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a lot of myself in the way that um, <clears throat> like I think I overthink things. I think way too much. And I consider constantly considering different perspectives, different angles. And it reminded me of you because you dare to like present a different ideology on things sometimes eventually getting yourself into trouble getting kicked out of school or fired or whatever oh yeah 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 yeah. both of those reminded uh, a little a little bit of both of us and and always based on nuance always based on nuance you know to sit there in you know I, i didn't see myself in that you know but i I can appreciate it. I'm grateful. In fact, I take it as a compliment. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's true. It's just factually, historically true in my in my scenario. But yeah, I've I've you know been in those conversations where people make these extreme either ors, and I'm also the emotional kid, right? The bipolar guy <laughs> that that everybody kind of looks at and is like that guy. He's an emotional guy, but he's also you know pretty clever, um, pretty smart, and getting in conversations with teachers, right, and people in authority all the time that are trying to make it as if it's a simple either or, right? And to say, look, it's it's deeper than that. You know, there's a whole spectrum here. And it's, I liked in the symbolism of that scene uh, where they had fear on one side of the line and love on the other side, that it's a line and it's just a big, huge, empty space. So even mm-hmm. visually, you could say, don't you see how there's a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> between yeah. that? 
And so I, I'm with you, man. I, I agree. You know, there was one scene in particular too, that, um, and when I looked back, I, I, I saw that character and maybe even some other ones and you guys might not, if we were all watching the movie right now, then you might pick up on this, but just reflecting on it, it might be a little difficult for you to, to pick up on. But when that, that crazy woman who's just like, um, I don't know what you'd call her, uh, like Uber ultra conservative woman that, that, uh, ran the, um, she was like the old lady. I can't remember what her job was in the school. She was a teacher of some sort. Actually, I think she yeah. may have been the teacher we're talking about. But there's a scene where she goes up to the door. Donnie Darko's mom and talking to her mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And trying to convince her to go to be the chaperone and stuff. Yeah. In that moment, her dialogue and her reaction was so much like a David Lynch uh, character. And like I said, I don't know if you can if you can like re- remember it that well. <clears throat> I almost didn't pick up on that, but it, it remind you know his characters, especially in Twin Peaks. Well, in a lot of his movies, Wild Heart, where they're just they have such over exaggerated reactions to things, and they're they're so overly emotional emotional about stuff, and just who she was and the way she talked and the way she acted reminded me big time of. Uh, a Lynchian character and absurd amounts of discomfort. Like when she stood up in the middle of the, when she stood up in the middle of the school meeting, right. About the flooding. And she just turns it into an opportunity to Mm -hmm. complain about other things and makes herself, well, I'm the only person I transcend all of this because I am, I'm both a teacher and a parent. So I transcend this, which gives me some kind of special privilege, you know? And uh, I thought it was kind of funny about, um, about her in that on the one hand, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense that a very conservative person, and I'm saying this as a conservative guy, right. But that a conservative person would fall on the, you know, peace, peace and love hippie, put a flower in your ear side of the love and fear dialectic, right. To say like, you know, it's just about love. Like that's a very, that's not ordinarily something that someone who's also loving Dan Quayle and, and stuff like that, that they would fall on that side if you had that that paradigm. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah. I thought she was kind of a but but at the same time, you also can see historically that it actually makes a little bit of sense because there was a, a phase where it was kind of becoming that even within the you know, what would later become things like secret sensitivity movements and stuff like that in conservative circles that were more about tolerance, embracing, overcoming the fear and stuff like that. Um, So I thought it was an interesting snapshot into not only the psychology of someone with certain, a certain set of political and religious beliefs, but also that same exact thing in the eighties. Right. And, and I think he did a good job. I, I, I was fascinated by it, but I, I thought, I didn't put it together with a Lynchian thing, but now that you've said it, that scene at the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was, it was awkward. The, the hyper emotionalism that she was experiencing, everything yeah. was on the line. Like it was the, it was this huge, massive thing, you know, and, and, and even the kind of way that she was rude at the door to say uh, of all the moms, I wouldn't have ever thought of even asking you. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that yeah. was like a very uncomfortable moment, you know, between the two of them. 
So yeah, definitely Lynchian in that way. Michael, have you seen the director's cut? So I haven't seen the director's cut straight through, but what I did do was I looked up the all the scenes that are added into the director's cut uh, and so yeah. watch them to get an idea. And it's interesting too, because like a lot of people prefer the original because they feel that it the ambiguity is one of the things that makes it great and the fact yeah. that it can be open to interpretation but the director's cut is pretty much saying you know that this is time travel the tangent universe is real and there's even a line where Donnie's therapist reveals that his medication is just all placebos so um <laughs> what <laughs> that that would yeah. that would be like a ruining thing i'd be like what are you serious you're gonna reveal that yeah, yeah, so I think as well, like reading up on and learning about the director's cut, I thought, well, I'd, I'd rather not watch it all the way through, and I'd like to have the original film more vivid in my mind. I don't particularly for this conversation because it it just makes it less interesting to to yeah. analyze if it's like, well, yeah, that's what happened, so <laughs> we can put a line underneath that. And you've been, you've been woke, Michael. It's too yeah. late to turn back now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I it is interesting that you mentioned the line about Jim Cunningham being the Antichrist. And I mean, one of the interpretations of Donnie Darko is that Donnie is a kind of Christ-like figure. It's the Christ narrative. He's but, a martyr, yeah. Mm, and I mean Jim Cunningham <laughs> is he he effectively presents Donnie with the free temptations, but as the teenage rebel figure rather than, you know, like Jesus <laughs> going away from the temptations. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a checklist. So that there's the sex before marriage, there's the alcohol, there's the drugs, and he, you know, he's lapping it all up. And, you know, before he has died as the martyr, he has completed the temptations to to fulfill his destiny. But it is interesting, too, just how, yeah, you've got the, the figure, the teacher and the parent whose name is escaping me, who just views the world in such a simplistic way. You know, you've got fear and you've got love. And like you said before, the... The reason that this resonates particularly with teenagers and, and young people is because Donnie is saying everything we've wanted to say. It's almost like a kind of teenage fantasy standing up to absurd authority and kind of pointing out, like, can you not see how ridiculous this is? And, I mean, I think the scene at the door where Jim Cunningham has been revealed to be a pedophile, but she's so adamant that she wants to defend him that instead of accepting yeah. that in the yeah. face of pretty damning evidence, she's like, no, I'm going to defend him. I'm going to have to try and find out what's happened. He's been set up because I think 
if she admits that actually, no, he is a bad person, he is a paedophile, then what else is she now going to have to question? How is it going to alter her worldview? Particularly when, I mean, in a sense, she has put him on a pedestal like a Christ figure. She's taken his his preachings about fear and love and this way to live your life and she's decided that she's going to teach it and the absurdity of her getting the teacher played by Drew Drew Barrymore fired for teaching Graham Greene when there's far more danger in teaching the teachings of Jim Cunningham is is something that is very kind of clear and deliberate and I just the thing I love about this film is that everything is intentional there's not a line or a scene that is wasted or is filler it all serves for tension and conflict and I think that is why it stood up so well although interestingly I, I don't know how much you're aware of the kind of origin story and the cinematic release, but it didn't do well on its first release because it kind of, it came out not too long after Columbine when that was very much in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And you've obviously got Donnie casually shooting a gun. So that didn't go yeah. down too well uh, with, with people having this, mentally disturbed dude shooting and he's at a school and you know that that could end badly and then also it came out very close to maybe even a week after the twin towers had gone down so you're opening with with this kind of foreign object from an airplane is is it like yeah. a jet mm-hmm. engine going yeah. into a building so right in in terms of <laughs> accidentally having things that are uh, going to people are going to be reactive it almost had a a checkbox <laughs> for the time but i i think because of the universal themes and the way that this just speaks not only to all teenagers but to all rebels to all people that have felt a little bit different and questioned the way in which we have these hierarchies and people try and neatly put things into good and bad boxes these are some of the reasons that it has endured i think as well because it's i mean it's a dark thriller it's a horror tangential film and so you've got these evocative images and very difficult to kind of come up with concrete answers but I mean if you look at the figure of Frank I mean Frank in the bunny costume is iconic it's one of the kind of images from naughty cinema I mean there aren't many others that are so famous Mm mm-hmm it's Baphomet-esque. And you said yeah. so many things. I was I was typing some of the stuff down. I'm like, man, I you you brought up so many great points. But I think one thing, you know, that I want to throw out there is like, and I don't want to get too esoteric about it and technical, but a lot of you know, talking about the Jesus figure, you know, you said Cunningham is kind of like a Jesus figure, too. Mm. I would venture to say that he is in this story, he is uh in the writer's intent, the Jesus figure. 
And he has followers that are ecstatic to the point where if you think about the door scene again, she's not mm. only giving up what she said that she's worked for basically her whole daughter's life. Right. She's she's been working yeah. We've worked for years for this and all of this. It's like this amazing thing. It's a once in a lifetime thing. And she's going to sacrifice it, not just because she has to go to what did she say? The trial. She's going to go to this to the court, basically, but also yeah. that she's not just going to support him, but she's organizing a group of support. Yeah. And so so if you're if you're because I, I I think when when you see two Jesus like figures in this. And I mentioned this about the Antichrist. I think that it's it, the, I think that uh, Donnie is a Gnostic character. I think he's an Antichrist character in the sense of like the, the overman, right? Nietzsche's uh, superhero, <laughs> godlike guy who's dealing with fate. And that comes out in the very, very, very beginning with the first song. And I made sure to, to I actually saw this quoted on a website too. Over Jay's analysis, I was glad to see that. I said, I, I noticed that too. Yeah, the, the opening scene has the song, uh, The Killing Moon. And it begins yeah. by fate up against your will. He will wait until you give yourself to him. And so you, you're talking and there's themes in it about predestination, right? And are we programmed? Is it, can we, even even the, uh, the kind of watery tube-like things that are coming out of the bodies are leading the way in actions that those people think they are doing of their own volition. Yeah. Right. And so like predestination, like predestination. Yes. And he, yeah. he's taking this position. It's an argument about predestination and free will. And even the conversations about, well, why are you wearing that suit? Why are you wearing that man skin kind of thing? They, yeah. they are vessels. They're just vessels and they're kind of conduits of this thing. And, and, um, the idea that Cunningham is the Jesus figure and he's the Antichrist figure, right? Projecting, in fact, on uh, on the Jesus figure. But I think the reason why that makes sense, and it's a hint in the movie, is that the last temptation of Christ was playing at the theater. Yeah. And that true. movie is a Gnostic movie. It's, it's, it's based on the Gnostic doctrine that our story of Jesus is not real. And that Jesus actually was with, you know, Mary Magdalene or uh, had some kids and stuff. <laughs> he really didn't die on the cross kind of a thing. Um, and so that idea is there. So you see of all the movies they chose, it's it's that's one of them. OK. And and you look at and you look at the, the symbolism and the way that the religious people respond and all the religious people in the in the institution of the Catholic school were fanatical about him and totally devastated, which was hilarious, where. They're super pumped, right? And they're they're like all pumped, and they're they're celebrating inside of the inside of the principal's office. And then that lady comes in with a totally devastated <laughs> face and yeah. shows them the front page very slowly. And you just see just devastation wipe across, just all over their faces and their mm. reactions to learning the truth about their their Christ figure, right? Learning yeah. the truth about him and seeing the darkness in. You know, once it's been burned down, you see that there's wickedness in there. And in the end, it ends up vindicating the the shadow to that, the Antichrist to that. And that would be Donnie. I mean, that's just an interpretation, but it's something I, I the, thought of. I think the real Antichrist in the movie is Drew Barrymore's acting. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was bad, man. I, I she's one of those actresses that or actors that 
I don't, I can't, I can't take them in a serious film. She's great in something like, uh, what, what, what's that show I love so much? Is it the San, San Clarita Diet? Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah, I love right. that show. She's great in that show. Um, and she's been great in a couple comedies, but she has that that smirk on her face that, you know, no no fault of her own. It's just there. And I, I can't. I just I just thought she was horrible. Ugh. Horrible. I might be in the minority here, but. You know, you say too, Michael, you bring up the idea that <laughs> uh, you bring up the idea. I, I think you're maybe in the majority. I think she's she's a. One of those things like she's a, she, she's nostalgic, though, in a way. And this is an 80s throwback. So, I mean, it's kind of fitting yeah. that she's in there, you know, yeah. and Swayze, yeah. too. I mean, it's like these are iconic figures, you know, from yeah. from that time. But you were saying that, you know, the, the timing of it, you know, Chad, you mentioned you said, wow, think of the timing. And I thought, when would actually be a good time for that? I mean, if you thought, well, what if it what if it came out in, let's say, 2010 or 2014? I mean, there is there is fat shaming in there right there is uh it, bullying where he's like look you know if you really want to defend yourself you should take a karate class and kick him in the balls kind of thing and a lot of people would go whoa and they'd freak out so i think that it's brilliant and that it it like the 80s kind of attacks the sensibilities of political correctness and i think that that is one of its strengths but also maybe in a marketing sense maybe one of its weaknesses and that it it didn't do so hot first time around, but it's a call classic. So it's not like they, nobody can really complain, you know? Right. Yeah. Do you think if there were to be, you know, a similar eighties throwback film now that people would have to be more mindful or perhaps even censor what is authentic playground bullying in the eighties, yeah. but just like would be unacceptable today like kind of encouraging to kick him in the balls and also you know t telling that girl go back to china bitch it's yeah, like today right. you'd be like yeah. fucking hell i can't believe that they might cut but yeah. yeah it depends on who's putting out the film hollywood has lost its balls and they don't like to take chances this is why we're getting remakes this is why we get sequels because um, they don't want to, they want to, they want a sure thing. So if something is successful, that's, you know, it's going to, there's going to be a sequel to it most likely. And then of course <clears throat> the remakes, some of which are a joy to see and some of them are completely unnecessary and insulting, but an indie movie, <laughs> absolutely. An indie movie. I mean, they don't, they don't hold that kind of stuff back, but the, the China thing, yeah. That that's uh, that's really pushing it, I think, because of yeah. the world we're in right now. Right. Yeah. I think particularly now, particularly yeah. yes. with yes. COVID, and you've got yeah, that's what people, I'm saying. Yeah, you go back to China. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Any any, you know, I I was just watching the Joe Rogan podcast with uh, David Cho Cho on it. I don't know if you guys watch the show or know who he is, but he's from Korea and he talked about a couple times. Um, he talked about how he was told that in um, when he was a child mm -hmm. uh, to go back where you come from. 
yeah. then he was never told again for years and years until recently. He was told twice. And and this guy's 44. Really cool dude. He broke down yeah. on the show about it. He was crying. Yeah. It yeah. really, it hurt his feelings bad. And uh, so, and I thought about it and I thought, not to say I'm any kind of saint. Uh, Lord knows I've done my fair share of, uh, you know, whatever. Just like anybody else, saying mean things or doing mean things. We've all done it. Uh, that's not one thing that I've really said because I don't understand it and I don't see any place for it. I don't, I, I you know, go back where you came from. I can't think of anything more hurtful, really. You know, to it's to, a pretty, it's a pretty big one. I've seen, it and I, I can say it on not a personal level. I've talked about this on my own, on my own podcast one time about how my wife, um, she's half Korean. Her mom was born mm -hmm. and raised in Korea, and her mom has experienced that a lot uh, in the past. Um, it's been a long time with her. Uh, super thick accent, you know. I mean, even when she says sandwiches, it's sandwichy and stuff. She actually learned English by watching uh, soap operas and things like that. Mm. So that is how she learned. Um, and so, but my wife, so dad's Caucasian, white guy, mom's Korean. So my wife is this, you know, she's multiracial and, and it's interesting because she's, she spent a couple years in Germany when she was really little and she's got some pictures, but the rest of her life is in America and her mom worked really hard to, um, to integrate. So, I mean, to, to a fault, in fact, where she went extreme and didn't even, you know, didn't really practice speaking Korean with other Korean people. They didn't go to Korean events or with Korean churches and stuff like that. Um, they just tried to blend in and to just be American. Right. Um, and so my wife is, is as American as apple pie, you know, <laughs> or, or general Tao's chicken, <laughs> which is really American. I mean, you should watch a Ted talk about it. But like, the thing is, is that she's been told and I've watched my wife talk about these things and, and cry. I mean, it's heartbreaking. I've cried with her. I mean, just held her because that's something that's really, really painful. So saying stuff like that, that's, I think they would, they, it, it, most people would just self-censor that. But there are other things from the 80s, other words, you know, the the F word that rhymes with bag. Right? Like yeah. <laughs> that, that's another word that people, you know, or maggot, they would, there's a a fear to to say that even though, it's applicable to the time. And, and so, you know, that's something, but it's something that a society, once it goes through that and, and you start to see that word go into disrepute, right. You know, the debate really, it becomes not, can you just say that loosely, but in what context can it be said at all? And if you can't say it in a situation like, you know, like that guy was obviously a bully. He was obviously a terrible person, right? Saying go back. So, I mean, it makes him look even worse. That's a, a valid point, right? And that it definitely doesn't shine good on him. And not many people go, I want to be that guy, you know? And so, but I don't know. I think in modern times, you know, it nowadays, if, if a movie like that, I think it would be tamer on certain things, right? Distinctive marks from the 80s even. Yeah, and I think as well, I mean, because I, I think about this and particularly, you know, to, to write authentic stories, but to also be mindful of, you know, not, not only sensitivities, but repercussions. And 
I think if you're going to use something that's homophobic or xenophobic or any other phobic, you've got to make sure that the story justifies it. And really, there's no other way that you can convey or get across the same thing without using it. So if you can do it in a way and achieve exactly what you wanted to without using that language or, or those actions or whatever it is, then it's probably better to do that. I think the more the more offensive something is, the more you've got to kind of justify it so that it's not gratuitous. And so, I mean, there are stories like Joe R. Lansdale's yeah. the, night, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Night They Missed the Horror Show, where actually in the context of that story, the language is necessary. But if it isn't, then I think particularly in in 2020, you, you know, you're going to be hard pushed to, to use it. I mean, I've got a character in the girl in the video who's completely abhorrent and objectifies Japanese women. He's every sort of phobic that you could imagine but it is kind of necessary to portray the type of guy he is but mm -hmm. yeah it it's like when you tell a joke when you're a comedian I don't think there's any subject matter that you can absolutely say you cannot make a joke with that subject matter but the more sensitive it is the more, you know, you, you better make sure that that joke is poking fun at the abhorrent person and not actually, you know, p poking fun at whatever the the act is and essentially making fun of the victim. You've got to make sure it's making fun of the perpetrator. And it's a difficult thing to balance. And it's interesting because as we were talking I was thinking, you know, if, if if this is what's required to make it authentic, then you should be free to to have that line in the movie. But then as you were talking about the racial abuse that your wife and her mother has suffered, it actually it actually made me rethink. <laughs> The, the the lines in which I was going because I thought this is a, a film that has a huge teenage audience and as teenagers what do we often do we echo lines from yeah, our favorite films because we think it's funny so unfortunately if you've got a bully saying go back to China you're a 15 year old dumbass you're maybe now gonna say that to like yeah. Chinese people within your school so now you've got that responsibility and plus you've got it coming that, from the mouth that makes it tougher you know what was that Jad? plus you've got it coming from the, that particular line of dialogue is coming from the mouth of somebody who is not really one of the antagonists in the movie mm. he i mean he wasn't you know, like he wasn't one of the you know he was one of uh donnie's friends you know mm. one of his friends from school rather than the bully i i just um toyed around with um you know i'm writing something um with somebody right now and i wrote a line of dialogue 
using the the word that rhymes with maggot mm. um out of the mouth of a 14 year old bully who is basically telling this new kid at school to use the stall instead of the urinal next to him mm. that the dialogue is a hundred percent applicable big time mm. yeah, yeah. For, the, for the age for for the the message he's trying to convey because he's not confident in his own masculinity to have another kid take a piss mm. next to him so and i and i sent the dialogue and i was like dude what do you think can we get away with this <laughs> you know because mm. it i i don't agree with censorship i'm a huge mm. lansdale fan joe is is definitely doesn't agree with it and you know the, the man if you know anything about joe uh he's the farthest thing from racist but yeah. his stories and you you mentioned the night missed the horror show you could have you could have included a very long list of yeah, Joe yeah. Lansdale work that that uses that particular word that we both yeah know paradise sky word. yeah paradise sky oh, yeah <laughs> it's like but it, it's it's the time frame too and you yeah. know you got to think maybe it's on a scale too you know like if you if you're making a a book and it's got Hitler and Nazis I mean there's a, a bunch of words I won't even say on here that that they would use you know or, or if yeah. you have Klansmen. A Klansman would use words that we won't say here, right? Like the N-word and other things, um, yeah. abhorrent, but it would be applicable to them. Now, someone who's a bully, that could be argued, I think. In fact, it, it, it it's hard if, if the debate is that's so bad you shouldn't say it, then it almost seems like it's just by its own definition then applicable to the person who's a terrible, rotten person. And that well, if, like, you know, like maybe there's other words they could say you freak, but it would lack, it would lack the, the intensity yeah. of, of words that are otherwise no goes, <laughs> like, don't yeah. say that. And it kind of brings, it, it forces it. It's kind of, I think people maybe would benefit from watching, um, Steven Pinker, he's a Harvard professor and he does yeah. this hilarious video on bad words. And he and and he he has a section there on all the different words that we use for poop, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes through and he's describing it and he says, you know, it'd be really terrible if if you know you told your little baby, hey, you need to go take a shit over there, or if you <laughs> if the doctor said that, you know, well, you need to take yeah. this this shit bag and do that, <laughs> or you know, and. On the other hand, you know, if, if the doctor said, well, this is where you put the doo-doo, like that would be inappropriate too. So there's the whole spectrum. Dude, I'm telling you, you have to see it. It is, it's like up there in my mind, it's up there with like George Carlin's uh, uh, yeah. thing about words you don't say and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's classic, but yeah. But leaving that stuff out, you know, yeah, you, you should be able to tell as a reader um and, and and you just certainly bite your tongue as a writer you should be able to tell as a reader whether something is being gratuitous or not yeah. if mm. if if one of us were to write a book that uh we're trying to show a bully and he's uh he's not even racist <clears throat> he's just a bully and he's talking to somebody doesn't matter if they're black or white or mexican or whatever and he uses the n-word that just doesn't make sense you're just using the N word because you know that it's a bad word. You know, if we're, um, but to me, without, without adding some of those things, I, I don't think that you should add them liberally, <clears throat> excuse me, but liberally, but, but like, it'd be like writing a, um, 
a, a, a prison book or watching a prison film and nobody cusses nobody has tattoos and <laughs> yeah nobody's raping yeah. anybody you know yeah it's like you know and everybody is just like yeah i mean we've never been to prison but we've seen enough to you know documentaries and tv shows and stories to know what goes on there and and how bad it, it can get but to have it portrayed in a different light um just for the sake of potentially hurting someone's feelings i don't i don't I'd agree with it but but at the same time like i said i do agree with being very wise and cautious about it i think it's interesting too the idea of um the idea of not only being able to use that and I, as you were talking i was thinking about it man like there's it's not just examples where you're trying to show that somebody is um a bad person but also you can think of an example i can i, I thought of an example of where it was showing how someone or a group of people, right, or an entire civilization at that point was stupid. And that's idiocracy. Idiocracy mm. uses that that words like that, right? But the whole idea is that it's an idiocracy. We're at a point where <laughs> they're not, so they're, they're even talking, you know, dumb. They're talking stupid. They're using <laughs> terrible language. Um, yeah. and, and so it, it kind of adds to the point of that. You know, and so I can imagine a number of different contexts wherein language that is currently with our mores right now taboo that uh, that it would make sense. It would be debated kind of like uh, um, Dave Chappelle's rape joke. I mean, that was on his Netflix special and that was hotly debated. People debated whether or not it was funny or not, you know, talking about is there something and that's that is probably the most taboo thing for a comedian is i mean if you don't make it if you don't do it right you are the, like the worst person in the world <laughs> like there's you are done do forever and and even if you did it right you might be done forever uh but he, you're dave Chappelle, and so you <laughs> and uh people can debate whether or not it was a legitimate thing but it just goes to show that there's a a, a whole bunch of different contexts wherein very taboo things, especially with writing, movies, comedy, stuff like that, where that may be acceptable, not to be praised, but to be understood and to to create the character uh, that you're, in fact, wanting to create. I got to be honest, man, while you're sitting there talking and you brought up the word stupid, it made me think of the the, the word retard or retarded. And I'm thinking to myself, well... I could easily find a different word. I'm not going to use that word. I wouldn't use that word. But I'm drawing my own line. Because mm -hmm. if I'm going to use the maggot word, why can't I use the other one? So I will admit to being, not having an answer, I guess. I, I think we all draw our personal lines on, on various things. Mm -hmm. Because it's not fair to be able to, you know, when I think of, you, if I were to use the retard, I, I instantly think of someone who's, this is their life. You know, uh, and I think of the parents, mainly the parents, because I think someone who is um, uh, somebody that, you know, I mean, back in the day, we used to use that word all the time in the mm -hmm. 70s and 80s. It was just all the time. And but as a parent, it's heartbreaking to have uh, your child called anything like I, I would think that that. um I'm trying to think of an example, 
Um, but like, you know, if you have a, an overweight child or if you have Jeremiah, if you had a, a Korean child and it was the child was clearly Korean. OK. And you saw you heard somebody say that to your child. It would probably crush you more than with your child. You know, I will say this because we've talked about this privately before. My my brother is uh, he was in a car accident with close head injury. And my parents and a lot of other parents that we knew, and, and there were some, I don't, I don't want to portray it like it's just a one-sided thing. There were, there were differences of opinion, but a significant number of those that I was around and we were around a lot, we were part of organizations and stuff. Um, they were kind of surprised by the way that society at large and a lot of people who had a curious interest in it, it was more like, you know, a, about a speech code than it was about somebody they knew you know, or that they missed, they used it in a way that was intentionally thinking in their head of somebody with a disability, things like that. But that uh, a lot of them, you know, they say, yeah, my son is mentally retarded or even going to the doctors, the doctor, a nurse recently asked us about it and used the phrase re, uh, uh, mentally retarded. And I, and she goes, yeah, it's right here. It's on the screen. It's a, it's our medical term for it. And so like, but again, that might play into the whole idea of the difference between a fecal sample and a shit bag right? yeah. that might be or crap, you know, like, and, and there's of the, shades of that. Yeah. It's because of the overuse of the word. Cause when you normally hear that word, it's not in good context. It's not an appropriate context. It's not for the context that, that what it really is. I would, I would, I would think that of a, a, a large majority of the times that that word retarded comes out of someone's mouth it is um has nothing to do with a legitimate medical condition so that it's one of those words that's been hijacked and now because of that it sounds offensive when used in when used appropriately so michael what do you think what do you think about this let me let me throw this out there for michael because we've i've talked to you privately about this but I want, I want michael's opinion what do you think about like for example i said did i say stupid or dumb a little while um, ago I think you said stupid. I said stupid. My first thought was dumb, and I think I paused and I ended up saying stupid. But dumb, uh, dumb. Um, uh, what's another one? My my son brought up. Man, it was really good. You have dumb. You have idiot. Um, there's a there's another one on the tip of my tongue. But there was a number of things that were used in the past that went through the same life cycle as, as certain words that we're experiencing now that we use now. We say, man, that person's a real idiot, not realizing the historical context of that. You know, do you believe that that should be something factored in with certain words that we use now that we may say, don't use the word retarded, use idiot instead. <laughs> right? Like, and say that is what they used to call those people, right? Like people suffering from that. That was the term. Uh, or dumb, you know, that that was somebody who had a disability. Um, and so th there's a number of them. And I, I wish I could call my son down here right now. <laughs> Tell me, because he had another one that is for younger, younger generation people. I said, yeah, dude, that's true. That's totally that. So what are your thoughts? Do you think that's that applies? Do you think it's something people should even think about? Or is it just like, well, you know, maybe, but it, it's it doesn't mean the same thing. Nobody thinks of a person with mental issues when they say idiot now, therefore it's preferable. So are we talking about 
as a human being, or are we talking specifically about as a writer, creative as a writing? Okay, <laughs> I just wanted with writing, to so as, yeah, with writing, we're sticking with that, man. We're, as, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's going to be a different answer for yeah, <laughs> depending yeah, on yeah. which. So, I mean, I'll start by saying I think it's pretty clear that all of our positions are that we are against censorship, but we're for consideration and the more offensive a term, the more we have to be able to justify it. But there is no word or there is no action that we say you cannot do that within fiction. I think at the point that you do, then you're perhaps watering down your own art. So I think actually with a first draft or even a draft before you hand it into your editor or your beta readers, you have to give it unfiltered. Now, if your editor says there's no way that we can sell this, if you have that in, then you, you know, you've got a decision at the editorial level. But I feel if you're censoring yourself too much initially, then I I think that you're going to have an inauthentic story and the whole story is going to suffer. So, I mean, when I was chatting with Chuck Polanik, he says that if something isn't working, normally he has to dial it up. He has to make it more offensive or he has to make it more grotesque or he has to go further he has to make it darker so i certainly don't think at that initial level you should be really censoring anything not not on a conscious level i mean you you know you 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 might unconsciously you know you're gonna go through some different words it's like okay am i gonna call that person the R word, stupid, an idiot, a buffoon, if I want to be really comedic, and it's a stuffy character, and just just going through those different choices. But I think, so your specific question is whether, whether in writing, what we, we can call people an idiot, because if you look at the the origin of the word, then it it was once as offensive as the R word. Um, well, I think was once a, as offensive is key here. If it isn't in the current context and the current times, then that feels authentic. And I think authentic is what it often comes back to. What is the most natural thing that this character is going to say. If it's idiot, then I think, you know, put the word idiot into dialogue and into the manuscript. If you were to worry about, and I, maybe I don't know because you're on a cast, how careful do I have with what I'm about to say? But, <laughs> but you know, yeah. pe- pe- people me on Zara before hopefully you <laughs> I would I would like to hope that they have an understanding as to what sort of character I yeah. am but I do think that if you were to worry when you're writing about potentially offending people and, and all the possibilities in which you could offend them just you couldn't write you couldn't write a story 
because also, I mean, Ricky Gervais has spoken about this, but the the offence, the burden is almost... <laughs> this, this is where I might get into shit, but the burden is on the person being offended. And if the, if the person saying the offensive thing, if their intentionality being good and positive, then it, it feels... It's about looking at character, and this is yeah. sticky territory that we're getting into. And... <laughs> yeah. I do know what you're saying, though, Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that, um, and I think it's a good thing. It's it seems like all of us are in agreement that, um, you know, whether writing or speaking or anything, that um, to be conscientious of that, to mm. to fault on the side of being courteous and say, look, you know, I'm not it's a it's a struggle it's a it's a struggle in the in the heart and mind even for writing sitting down and trying to write a terrible character and it should say something of the writer uh him or herself you know that says um that when they're writing that even if they do that it's something that they have to process and say this is why i chose that and it's not just simply like yeah man i'm just having a blast writing <laughs> getting a chance to write all these terrible words um so i think it you know, if nothing else, it's uh, a little vindicating, maybe. Um, it is. Yeah. A, it is a and, very strange and interesting concept. Given, like within our genre, we can skin someone alive and castrate them and go into very explicit detail, but you drop in. in, in but we're all so desensitized. I mean, the people who don't like that thing aren't going to pick up the book in the first place. And once stuff starts hinting, like, "Uh oh, this is a little darker than I thought," then they'll probably put the book down. But a single word can do so much, so so much more, and it's psychologically that's so uh, it's it's weird. It's but it's interesting. Like we have been desensitized to these images, but then if you read a, a word in there that you, even if you don't find the word offensive, because a lot of us don't find that particular word offensive for ourselves, but we find it offensive for our brothers and sisters who will find it offensive. Yeah. 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 I, 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 <laughs> this is, after this after is that conversation, we take this cathartic breath. It's this, like, oh, where are we at? What is, <laughs> no, this, this is the part where where I deliberate whether to add things that can that can then open up another can of worms. But oh. and th this is me pondering where to go there, but okay, fuck it, I'm going to go there. Said <laughs> yeah. we, might, yeah. we might take offense on behalf of our other brothers and sisters. And I do think, I, I, you probably know where I'm going to go, but I think that's quite dangerous as well. You know, when we're getting offended on behalf of other people, because then you do almost see this culture of people getting more offended on behalf of other people than the actual yeah. people who were supposed to be offended. Yes. And yeah. I'm just yeah. going to leave it at that rather than I, um, yes. going into any further detail. <laughs> I, but... abso I, absolutely know. <laughs> I absolutely understand. And I agree no. where I was coming from meant like in my heart rather than taking action. So mm. let me give you an example. One of my absolute, most dearest closest friends is a black guy mm. um love this dude to death he's super close to our family 
loves my kids. He's actually coming back to um, the States next year just to marry my um, son to, to officiate the, the ceremony. And um, if somebody called him the N-word, my friend, I, I don't know that it would phase him. Matter of fact, he would probably walk over to the person and say, why are you hurting? What's, I think I know what you're talking about. What's, and yeah, what's, dude, totally. What's going on? You know, yeah. Yeah. he would not, he, he would think it was a shame that that word was being used, but wouldn't break him. It would me. I wouldn't say anything, yeah. but it, it would, it would hurt me because I love this guy uh, big time. And I know how good of a person he is and that he doesn't deserve that. So yes, as far as being vocal on behalf, that's a different that's a different thing on behalf mm. of someone who's maybe not even there, um, which I think is what you're kind of like, like as though they're defenseless, which I think is kind of what you were headed toward mm. a little bit. But this this type of particular example, his reaction would be different than, you know, like I said, yes, that would bum him out that, that he's, you know, this old and still going through this mm-hmm. and it would break my heart. But he he would just handle it differently he's he's he wouldn't let it get to him and he would uh uh yeah just probably go over there and do the complete opposite of what you might think he would do what what that person would definitely think he would differ. he he told me about an instance recently where he went through that and it's something he goes through and it yeah it breaks my heart but i do know what you're saying i don't think it, i don't think these considerations paralyzed they're, they're, they can be paralyzing to a lot of people, you know, and has mm-hmm. the potential to be paralyzing to a craft. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, I don't think it paralyzed the writers of Donnie Darko, <laughs> the writer right. of Donnie Darko. Yeah, no, it did not. <laughs> so that was something like, nah, we're, we're, yes. we're going forward with this and, uh, and for but, all the better for it. In fact, you know? Yeah. And, and, I'm, I'm, I don't know who originally brought that up, but I'm so glad because it made for great discussion about, you know, could we have Donnie Darko with that dialogue today? And but yeah. I, I do stick with that one line. Uh, and you had, you made yeah. a, a great point, Michael, about um, the position that a writer is in to, and by writer, I mean the person who wrote the screenplay or whatever, or, or a book, the, the writer in particular in, 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 you know, uh, video media with that, that the, the position that person is in where they are, if they put that in, it is an influence, you know, you, you've got a, um, a, uh, a movie like Donnie Darko where you've got a, a, a handsome high schooler, um, that you, you, that is charming right off the bat and you, and you, you take to him a very charismatic guy. And, um, and then you've got some lines in there that are a lot of them that are quotable. And that could be one. If nobody ever heard that before, because it's, it's so like, it's so like in your face, that statement at the bus stop mm. that and you're so not prepared for it that we, we probably all are all laughed because it just came out of nowhere that that dude said that. And it was, and maybe we laughed also because it was so, 
profane for him like to nervous do laughter yeah yeah, yeah. nervous oh my laughter gosh, i can't believe what i just heard yeah like right. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 not 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 laughing at her that's well, it was it was unprovoked it was not yeah. only was it unprovoked but I mean, right. what, what was you know you can tell that, that, that she was a sweetheart bullied. yeah she's a sweetheart yeah. she's you know the kind of person that that you know has her own internal struggles finds herself you know away from everybody a lot and real quiet and everything even misinterpreting uh, what Donnie says when he says things will get better, you know, that she's, you know, runs away, drops her books and stuff and runs. Uh, and he's kind of confused. Like he was actually saying something nice <laughs> about it yeah. and he defended her, you know, Donnie did, you mm. know, saying leave her alone kind of thing. And so, um, you know, but yeah, I, when I heard it, it was, it was jolting. Let me put it that way. Right. Yeah. It was a jolting moment. Um, and it was also a throwback. Like I sat there and I said, I've, I've, I've heard people when I was little, you know, I'm 40 I'm 42 years older now. And I remember, you know, being in the eighties and I had heard people say stuff like that, you know? And so it's been a long time, you know, and I know it still happens. I don't want to say it doesn't happen. I mean, it happens every day, right? Somebody's <laughs> there's crazy lunatic jerks out there uh, that say that kind of stuff, belligerent losers. I mean, for all intents and purposes um, that say it, but to see it in a film, like that it was yeah and i agree about the the nature of the conversation on the show <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so Jer Sir, jeremiah since this is your first and a half time seeing this i guess what was your um or at least the first time that you truly remember seeing it what, what what's your whether you give thumbs up or if you give it a number rating or whatever you want to do what are your oh two and a half thumbs up bro two and a half thumbs up yeah two and a half thumbs up big time Super dupe big time. Loved it. Um, you know, I, th I thought there were a couple things in there, you know, and, and I, I like it because I, I like movies that are esoteric. You know, I think that they're in, we didn't talk about it at all today and that's, that's perfectly fine. I don't know if people would have liked it as much as what we talked about, but to say, you know, there was a lot of union stuff in this, you know, the, the, um, uh, archetypes and everything that were in this and the kind of synchronicity within him and having to slay uh, that part of him so that he's united the fear and the love are united in the end and to overcome and, and to sacrifice himself on that altar debates about predestination and free will, right? Huge stuff. Awesome soundtrack. I loved the songs and I liked when it, they talked, I saw an interview and I wish I remembered her name. There was an interview where they were asking about, you know, the selection of the music and the images and they admitted what I think was an obvious thing. If people are, you know, reading the lyrics in the subtitles or in, not in subtitles in the um, yeah subtitles, that if they're reading that, they're seeing that the scenes really do go along with the music, that the music was was brilliantly selected in a way that it was fitting not only in the the, the sound and kind of the attitude of the song, um, the tempo and everything, but also um, lyrically, you know, and you have that not only in the beginning, which is kind of a foreshadow, right? That the song that I referenced earlier, but also uh, the song at the end, right? The dreams I've had of dying are the best I've ever had. Mad World, right? And this is the, the movie is Mad World. I mean, it's like, <laughs> and so you have this song. That if you look at the lyrics of that and you listen to the lyrics and you're you're matching it up with what was there. So there was so much that I really liked. And there was only a couple things that I thought were a little bit weird. I didn't understand. Um, 
the significance of the black chemtrail looking thing, right? That was floating in the sky and it looked like there was a tornado and he's going home kind of thing. Like how did that transpire? Yeah. I, I don't, I didn't put it together. And the idea that when, uh, when the, the, the fear and the love came together and he became the whole man, which was after sex, right? So after sex is when he, when he sees into this kind of, uh, portal and he sees his destiny and what this is all about. And he realizes midnight and he says, we're running out of time. You know, we got to go. And there, there's like the whole gang, like just jumps on a thing with him. Like, like they knew yeah. what he was talking about. And I'm yeah. thinking in that setting, that wouldn't make any sense. I'd be like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm at a party. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? We're going to grandma death's house. What? <laughs> Why are we doing that? And so, you know, I thought that was a little weird, but overall, and, and I love the evil dead reference, which I think underscores. And I, I, I need to throw it out here again. Cause he brought up some really good points. Uh, Jay Dyer from Jay's analysis talking about the Gnostic dynamic to this and how even evil dead, right. That, they were these uh, shells of a person and they're, they're kind of these, uh, what, what did he say? They're vectors or something like that. I forget what, it, what the term that they used when he was talking to the, uh, the teacher. Okay. When he was talking about time travel, um, saying that uh, we're basically these shells. And even in the imagery, again, of the, the liquid looking wormy snake thing coming out of people. And, and stuff. And so I felt like there's so much there that people could debate, even even the debate that takes place in science over whether or not, um, again, it's free will and predestination again. But the idea that emotions precede um, rational uh, uh, reason. And so uh, to use Jonathan Haidt's imagery, he says that uh, the emotions and our nature it's like an elephant and our brain is like the press secretary riding on top of the elephant. And it's very difficult, but it's always there to defend the movements of the elephant <laughs> and very rarely. So even when you think you're doing something of your own volition, really it's something that precedes the thought process and the thought process is justifying it. But all of those conversations could come out of this movie. And so on that level, brilliant music, brilliant, cinematography brilliant especially when he was talking to frank and it was going in and out of the face you know mm -hmm. so like it would fade in to to the a narrow part of his face and all of a sudden that was frank and then it would fade back into his face and it was him i thought that was genius how they did it i thought the acting was great um maybe even drew barrymore i, I wouldn't say it was great right <laughs> but i would say she was yeah you know whatever um the story was great and I just, yeah, two, two and a half thumbs up, man. What about you, buddy? I mean, I, what else can I say? You, you summed it up pretty well. I love this movie. Um, liked it when I first saw it. I, I, I am not one of these people who need answers for everything. I love ambiguity. I love, um, absolutely hate being spoon-fed. And so I have zero problem finishing a movie and not knowing the answers. I mean, I'm a David Lynch fan, so that yeah. you know, you're never going to get answers, uh, even from his, straight from his mouth. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm disappointed that there's a director's cut that Michael mentioned, um, and I probably won't watch it. Uh, I mean, Donnie Darko is in a movie that I dwell on often and think, oh, I wonder if he's, you know. But when you're watching, when you're watching it 
there are things that could point to just that this kid is mentally ill, but there's, I think there's too much outside of that, that points in the other direction. And, and that I, I thought it was neat the way that he is like a martyr, a martyr to um, uncover the evil, like uh, Mr. Swayze in his collection of whatever he had in the, the, the dungeon. Yeah. Dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as well is, you know, even saving lives, you know, like saving his, his girlfriend's life. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't need any more answers than that. I I'm convinced that this was time travel. This wasn't mental illness. And, but I love how it was wrapped up together like that. So what about yourself, Michael? Well, I mean, if we're going for a star system, I'd probably give it four or four and a half out of five. So yeah. fairly high rating, particularly as I, I rate things rather harshly. And I thought it stacked up really well, you know, rewatching it recently for this. Because um, sometimes, unfortunately, you rewatch something that you remember being really good in the, the 90s yeah. or the noughties and... And it, it hasn't stood up so well, but I I think it was maybe even better than I remember it being. And it it does it it seems to work on so many levels. I love the ambiguity. Um I I often sway more towards like a kind of mental health or a a narrative that's grounded in realism when I'm presented with the ambiguity. But you are right that in Donnie Darko, there's so much about time travel that even as someone who likes to go with the realism, it's like there's yeah. something there's something <laughs> going on here. There's something otherworldly. But it it's so subtle in the way that I love the twilight zone for that and some episodes of black mirror it's the real world but there's something off and i think those types of stories really resonate with me and just really work for me so i mean we we've discussed it a lot we there are other kind of theories that we could get into but that would you know add another hour or so to the conversation and as Jeremiah said, that soundtrack, oh my God, yeah, like, yeah. I really do want to just underline yeah. how how perfect it is. Not only the song choice for each scene, but just as a damn good 80s mm -hmm. throwback soundtrack. I mean, it's perfect for, for 80s goth kids, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jeremiah, you know... I know that you, you you like to pull like, you know, some morals away, something that you've learned or a, a keen observation that you'd like to share or something like that. And so I, I'm curious as to what you learned watching Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went into my library. I've got a very respectable collection of books about history and anthropology, psychology, and all this stuff, which was very beneficial for all of this. But I, I took away more than anything. I took away the idea that if I'm ever in a place where you've got a, a self-help guru video of this guy 
presenting life in this dialectic of love and fear with no kind of nuance, talking to the camera from about 100 yards away. And I ever see anything like that. He probably has a dungeon of kitty porn in his house. And just as bad, he probably has a terrible painting of himself hanging in his home. And if he ever encourages me to get a painting of myself or to come over and hang out, it's definitely not on my agenda. I am not going to be doing that anytime soon. And so <laughs> I figured, especially if I see the painting, then I know if he's if, if I walk in a house and a guy's got a painting that looks like the one that he had of himself, he probably well, no, he definitely has a kitty porn dungeon in his home. You, and so then, then that would mean uh, based on that logic, do you think that uh, Kramer has a kitty porn collection? Because Kramer had a pretty cool painting of himself. This wasn't a cool painting, man. This painting sucked. I don't know who drew that. And I, I hope I don't <laughs> offend anybody. But I'm like, when I saw it, it was like burning, you know? And and because you see it from a distance. And, mm -hmm. and it, you, you see it a ways away. And you're like, oh, he's got a painting of himself. That You know, he's he's uh, got a lot of ideas about himself um, and stuff like that. It's massive, too. I mean, it's a really big painting. Um mm -hmm. And so, but when it was burning, you know, and you got the flames kind of taking it down and I saw the picture, I was like, that's like Beavis and Butthead drawing. Like, I, I love Beavis and Butthead as much as the next Gen X guy, but I'm like, I wouldn't have that hanging in my house prominently. Like, I'd be like, you know, really a six foot one of that? <laughs> like, I don't know. You know, I don't want people thinking I've got kitty porn in the back room. I mean, it's obviously a telltale sign. So I don't know, man, but oh, goodness. yeah. So what about you, man? You got any uh, lessons, dude, any moral valuations, you know, inspirations, illuminations that you, you got while watching this? Um, I, I guess mainly just an observation um, and some decision-making. If I could go back in time, uh, what I would do if I was Donnie Darko, I, I, I tell you what I do. <clears throat> if I, I don't care how hot she is. If I was out on a date, with a girl that took her to go see evil dead. She slept through it. I'd never take her out again. Yeah. Done. That's the end of that relationship. Yeah, done, dude. <laughs> Deal breaker. Yeah. Yeah. How long was I sleeping the whole movie? That's when you're yeah. like, peace. <laughs> you just fall. That's yeah. Right. It's amazing. He even came back, you know, and just been like, I mean, well, I mean, she was, she was pretty hot. I mean, I can understand a little bit. And she had the candy still. So he had to go back for that you know, candy or popcorn or whatever, but I'm with you, dude. If, if I was at evil dead like that and my girlfriend was sleeping through the entire thing. Yeah, bro. I'm in the wrong relationship, man. So Michael, what, what, what do you real quick? What do you got going on? Where can people, you know, reach out to you or find out more about your stuff, more about your podcast, about your books, about, uh, and I, I'm not even sure if you're doing publishing anymore with this is horror, but any of that stuff. So for the podcast, it is, this is horror podcast so you can search for it on apple podcast and spotify and pretty much anywhere where mm -hmm. there is a podcast you can even go to this is horror.co.uk or com if you want to be redirected because you want an american feel when putting your <laughs> url in <laughs> that'll work too and you know you, you can search for all the different episodes as we said the latest one is with chuck paulinick we've also spoken to joe Lansdale, josh malaman stephen graham jones ellen datlow jennifer lynch um many many people over the years mm -hmm. so if 
if you have a number of favorite authors, then chances are, like, assuming they're within the horror genre, if you search, then we've probably had some sort of conversation with them. And in terms of connecting with me, in terms of social media, I'm most active on Twitter. So find me at Wilson, the writer. I am on Facebook, but connect with me on Twitter instead because I don't interact as much on Facebook. It's, it's not really much of a source of joy, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. And in terms of books, so I released The Girl in the Video, my debut novella at the end of April. So that is the ring meets fatal attraction for the iPhone generation. So if that sounds good, or if you trust the praise of people like Alan Baxter, David Moody, Josh Malaman, Brian Keane, and Sadie Hartman of Cemetery Dance, then check it out, the girl in the video. And then at Halloween, I will be releasing via This Is Horror. So in a sense, publishing is, is still ongoing. But this is myself and Bob Pastorella, our collaborative novel they're watching and it's kind of got themes of the wicker man and body double and kill list so it's yeah it's an interesting one if it's not too arrogant to say that about my own work but it's only half my work which means i can big it up and praise it a little bit but no i'm i'm pretty proud of that one and i think people are really going to enjoy it. So that is them watching Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella. If you want to look at my author website, it is michaeldavidwilson.co.uk. And yes, Americans, you can also put .com <laughs> in and get redirected. <laughs> Excellent, man. Well, dude, thanks a lot for hanging out with us again. Again. And, yeah. and, no worries. Um, it's always a pleasure to to talk with you, man. And um and thanks for you know giving us this this cool list of the three movies and 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 this nice discussion on Donnie Darko and and the dark places that it ended up going. Yeah, cool, yeah, cool conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, we started off discussing Donnie Darko, but then it yeah. turned into <laughs> a, a discussion on censorship. But I, yeah. I think that's an interesting, a valid, and an important discussion to be had i think mm-hmm. people you know it, it, it's something that for writers they probably are mindful of and considering a lot at the moment but if you try to self-censor then you're ultimately going to paralyze yourself as a writer and not write anything so you can't be doing that at least not in the initial stages right yeah you know, let your editors do that <laughs> let the editors do that and then if people you can then you'll have stories to tell above and beyond the actual book itself you know yeah yeah Ed- editors beta readers but don't don't self-censor initially yeah jeremiah where can they find us and listen to us at oh man they can find us everywhere they can find us in fact i think that by the time this episode goes up we're gonna have youtube.com slash paleo cheese because we didn't have a banner I don't know what we were thinking, man. We didn't have a, it was tough, man. You worked hard on that thing. I didn't know the rules. 
Yeah, because it was, yeah. And so we didn't have a banner. So we were like YouTube.com slash and then a whole slew of letter sequence, right? That yeah. cryptographers would struggle with. <laughs> They'd be like, I don't know. And so we had that, but it, that will be changed. And everywhere <laughs> else, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of it, a Gmail, all of it, paleo cheese. Okay. So paleo cheese at Gmail, paleo cheese on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. And of course, they can find us on Acast. Uh, uh, just check out and Acast, Spotify, all that. Look up Paleo Cheese and make sure to put a Z in there, okay? And so, because it, <laughs> otherwise, you're going to get a lot of these uh, yeah. dishes and recipes for Paleo Cheese, right? <laughs> and uh, interesting, interesting stuff. Trust me, I've seen it all. And so, but, uh, that's we, all right. I mean, I I generally eat a Paleo diet. That's why I came on the show. I thought we were going to discuss oh. recipes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you so much. It's been an awesome time, Michael. And uh, we, of course, wish you the best on everything you're doing, uh, whether it's the book, whether it's all the other things, right? Even stuff behind the scenes that you just uh, continue to do a really great job and uh, really to, to impact people's lives in all different sorts of ways, you know? And so... We wish you the best, and we're really grateful that you spent time with us today. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs>